Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Tune in to Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. Hello, welcome to All Things Creative on Full Service Radio, broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Casey Danielson. Um, I'm joined in the studio with my Studio Lab colleagues, Olabumi Bakari. Hello. And William Reed. Hey. William Reed, too. Um, <laughs> so. Are you the second? Um, my, my D.C. government email has a two. There's some other William Reed and some other D.C. agency, unfortunately. And then what if he disappeared? Would you get that or would you I, stay William Reed, I think Reed I, I'm stuck as two. And then if they hire another William Reed, he gets the good email. So. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> um so we are here from the D.C. Public Library Studio Lab. We all work at the, it's sort of like a satellite type of uh, studio um, as a substitute for the studio we had down at Martin Luther King Library, which was a little bit bigger and more elaborate. So we moved um, to a branch location. And so um, we do our programming and stuff like that at Shepherd Park Library. Um, so I, I think if we can just briefly talk about um, who we are, um, each of us, and what brought us to the Studio Lab. We all sort of ended up here um, because of interests that we have or, you know, that kind of thing. So um, I would start, you know, I can, I can start. Um, so I'm mostly a musician. Um, I mostly focus on film now but that's because I think I did the musician thing and I was okay at it and, and, and I wanted to move on so I played in bands and stuff in, in the 2000s um, did some production mixed some records did that kind of stuff and then when the Canon 7D came out and I realized I could film stuff that really looked great um, I kind of switched over to film and became obsessed with that uh, learning everything about lenses and, and also how to pace your shooting and all that kind of stuff. So um, that has translated into, you know, some interesting work up at the studio lab. People who come in for, you know, I need to learn cinematography. I just got my camera and I'm leaving for, on a trip to Egypt uh, and I have two weeks to learn how to do this. Um, so we can actually do that. Uh, pretty much all of us can do that um, when it comes to cameras. And um, as far as our other backgrounds, um, do you want to talk about who you are real quick, Boomy? Yep. Uh, I'm a native Washingtonian. Um, I picked up the DSLR camera, I want to say around 2015. I started taking a class at um, DCTV, um, wanting to learn... I don't even know why I took it. I, I, I wanted my own talk show, um, actually. So I started taking classes there. Here but um, 
and then 2015 i started watching these videos on youtube uh with simon cade this british young british guy um and he talks about making films with the dslr camera and i had been traveling to egypt so i decided why not you know make a documentary about my travels so that's kind of where i first started um filming um but I so you started this, with a passion project, basically. You wanted to learn. Yeah, that's cool. That and also, um, so now my passion project is the documentary about my family, um, my family's history in Washington, D.C. So I kind of put that down a little bit, um, but now I'm picking it uh, back up again. And you do a lot of research for that, too. You do. It's not really all that much camera stuff right now. It's a lot of research and right. putting the story together. I consider myself to be a historian. Um, similar in nature, uh, like uh, Kim Burns, how he is a historian, but he's also a filmmaker. And he does a great job of incorporating history into his projects. Um, so, yeah, that's that's making sure that I get the story right. For me, it's all about the story. If I can tell a great story, um, then I'm sure that anything I do with with the the visuals. Um, it's secondary. It, yeah, it's secondary of. for me. Yeah. Anyway, I, I think the story is most important. Um, what about you, Will? You kind of have a little bit of a different background. Yeah. Um, so, you know, as early as high school, I was, you know, I, I had taught myself to video edit. I taught myself to, you know, mess around in GarageBand and make music and stuff. But <clears throat> at the time, it was all kind of just exploratory. I, I wouldn't say I was really making anything remarkable. Um, experimenting. But, yeah, just experimenting and, and learning. And so that's kind of where I first learned how to use a lot of the programs that we use in um, Studio Lab. Granted, they've they've changed a lot um, since that time, but uh, for me, really, truly falling into film came v- via painting. So I was in art school. I was working on a lot of paintings, and for each painting, I would go and interview people, learn uh, everything I could possibly learn about a subject and then I would make a painting about it. So I went to like the oil spill. I did tours of, of, um, where, what is it called? The word is escaping me where, where you dump all the trash landfills. Yeah, yeah. I did tours of landfills, all sorts of stuff like that. Um, and, and, and then I, I, I don't know. I started to view myself as a, a, a journalist when I was really a, a painter and, uh, and uh, I guess around Occupy Wall Street time, there was this TV channel online called Global Revolution. And it had like all of these videos from that people had recorded of all sorts of things. And, and I really that really inspired me that, man, I bet you that if if I if I learned really learned to use a camera and, and learned to do documentary, I, I bet you that if people just saw the things that were going on in the world, um, you know, things would change. And so then I started studying film. I think maybe, maybe my view of the world and how people can change was probably a bit naive. But uh, oh, who cares, man? Yeah. <laughs> well, so activism sort of yeah uh, merged into the art. Thing. Yeah, totally. That's so interesting because. Yeah. 
I mean, your stuff is shot is shot well, but a lot of the time, it's really about what's going on. You know. Yeah, I, I I think I think a lot of times you know, for me, shooting is more about capturing what's going on. I I think there are a lot of I know there are a lot of things I could do to make things more cinematic, um, yeah. but it doesn't really matter to me. Yeah, I mean, in your film, you've shot a couple things with just your iPhone. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I don't yeah, know why the, people talk, talk about so much film. about that. Yeah, um, so uh, in twenty late 2017, I finished my uh, first lengthy project. It was called Trash Empire. Basically, for two years and two months, I survived off of food from the dumpster, and then I used like this crazy diet I had... Um, in order to get access to people in government and industry um, who otherwise would have totally ignored some random guy who wanted to come in and, you know, interview them. Um, And so I have been just over the last almost, I don't know, eight months, I've been just taking around and screening it in different places. Last week, uh, actually, finally got around to screening it at DCPL. And uh, there were 61 attendees. So, the, at which which library branch? Cleveland Park Library, which is has been recently be rebuilt. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's really beautiful. Um, it kind of has a different vibe than it used to, but it's beautiful. And don't be shy. You did. You were nominated for yeah um, the Tampa film. Yeah, Festival, at the it? Tampa Bay Underground Film Festival, I was nominated for best documentary. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I I lost out to a film about rock and roll in Tokyo, mm-hmm. um, but there was this other film that was really good, that was made in a similar way as mine. It was you know kind of lo-fi aesthetic, and in mine screened in a block with it, and it was about um, the uh, protest up in Standing Rock uh, regarding the pipeline. And that film was really amazing, and it was cool to to meet other people that were doing similar things. And you also made uh, World Star Hip Hop. Uh, Did you really? That, <laughs> yes. I think so. Uh, yeah. Why I, am I hearing about this right now? Well, this is crazy. I know there's they went World well, Star. They, the The project has been was written about in I think something like six different languages. And, you know, across the whole gamut of, of media from, you know, high-end media to, like, um, you know, Huffington Post, um, some radio stations that had me on to talk about it. Um, and then I had forgotten about it, but I think Boomy's right. World Star Hip Hop had kind of taken articles that other people had written and kind of repurposed and then put it up there um it's kind of awkward yeah that's weird (laughs) it's kind of a strange claim to fame um i think it was just the fact that you survived off of trash yeah 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 yeah, totally it it just drove people insane Mm -hmm. and but that was the that was the that was the point that was the hook you know um anyway and you know all of those all of the, the the types of film uh, we we work on. I think it has to do with you know we get some weird inspiration, totally. and then you're like obsessed with that thing, and you're like that's all I have to work on. You don't think about anything else. Um, I know not everyone is like that, but um, you know you you watch all different things and you know take hints from movies that you see. 
Um, so we, I think all of us have seen a bunch of interesting movies recently. Um, Boomy, do you want to talk about what you've been watching? Yeah, so there, there are a couple of things. Um, I've been really uh, watching a couple of Vice documentaries lately. What I like about Vice is that they have, the documentaries are short. Vice. 20 minutes or less. <laughs> and at the same time, um, they pack so much information. And the, the, the visuals are great. Um, the stories are interesting. And it keeps you, you know, kind of hooked. Um, so uh, the one that I watched recently, it was this guy who um, did a riff on, like, Nike sneakers. And he, like, it was kind of like a, his... Um, Revenge on the monopoly that Nike has on sneakers, and also, um, so it was a combination of this take on Nike shoes and Newport cigarettes. I think his mom had passed away from cancer from smoking, you know, uh, cigarettes. So he kind of did this sneaker, this limited edition sneaker, and he got like in trouble from both companies. Nike was just like cease and desist, whereas Newport, you know, flat out sued him and said, hey. You can't use our logo. Um, and then also, um, this is really great um, documentary series on YouTube. Um, it was called Africa, and it was by Basil Davidson. It came out in the 80s, and it kind of talked about the history of Africa, pre-colonial period, all the way up until um, the 80s. So that's what when I'm When you're watching say. something that is from that, uh, you know, from, let's say, from the 80s, did it feel... Like it was from the 80s? Oh, very much. You like can definitely kind of tell um, the image quality. What about um, the the terminology and the way they refer um, to things? Well, it was, it was uh, narrated, uh, and it was from his perspective. And he kind of like told, it was like him telling a story and, you know, kind of fitting his telling of this history um, by incorporating the stories of other people so it was like his narrative but he just kind of fit all these different stories into it and he kind of interviewed all of these different people um to do it um and it it, you know what's interesting about it is that how much africa the continent has changed since uh this aired this is this is the age this is like 30 years ago and to see all the things that have happened as a result you know, of um, in rapid industrialization and, you know, tech, you know, technological advancements is, you know, but yeah, it's just different. So that's on YouTube? It's on YouTube. There's so much, there's some really great content on YouTube. I, uh, how oh, is, yeah, there's how another one. Um, they, PBS, there's some PBS stuff on there, like um, American Experience. I was watching one about Chicago how Chicago, the city, um, was founded and, you know, it just talked about the history of that city. I was just bored one day and I watched <laughs> that. So, yeah. Um, what about you, Will? Yeah. Um, I feel a conversation coming on about a certain movie. Yeah. Well, we, we talk, we, I, I, Casey goes and sees so many more films than I do, but we, we talk about what we've been seeing at work. Um, Boomy, we talk about it as well, but, uh, I most recently saw, Fahrenheit 11.9. I, 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 I don't know. I feel like it's almost a cliche. I'm sure everyone's 
going out to see it, but it was, it was, it was interesting. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of was viewing it as a filmmaker in a lot of ways and thinking about, you know, the way the story was constructed and, um, what you might do differently. What I might something. do differently. Things that I saw that he did that were similar to things that and I that's would have done. What, and that's interesting because before I wouldn't do that. But when I started thinking about yeah. making films, now I look at the way that the film is shot, how the story is told. It's really helpful. Yeah. Do, do you ever notice that the person you're with, when you start making comments about this, they look at you with this blind look like, what are you talking yes. about? <laughs> stuff like that. I usually, like, when it comes to documentaries, I go by myself. Like, uh, But you know what I'm saying? When you start talking about the way something's framed or, you know, how they push into this image and it draws you into what's going on over here and people just look at you like, They're just like, can what you just you shut up about? and yeah. enjoy the movie? Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah. There's nobody please, that... Please I, shut up. I talk to you guys about stuff like that. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah. Um, Well, when it comes to that movie, um, I have definitely some thoughts about it. I think we, there's some talk about whether it's actually a documentary. Yeah. Um, But for me, I think I just hijacked your. No, keep going. I um, want to, I want to hear about it. I think uh, his, his films were so funny. He did this, humor that brought you into it and allowed you to laugh and then as you're laughing the this information is kind of absorbing better than if you were going to watch it like a propaganda film which i think this is more like that there's less humor there's less of his stunts you know he was the guy who showed up and you know he pushed the boundaries he goes to charlton heston's house he goes and humiliates himself uh goes to the white house you know all this stuff that people want to do but never would dare and Michael Moore's crazy he would do it and then it becomes funny and all this stuff and I didn't see very much if any of that in this movie except for the yeah the lawn thing well well that's interesting because I think there were parts of the film that were funny and there were parts where I did hear people laugh but I agree that as a general rule there was less of it and then the scene where he goes and sprays you know the the governor of Michigan's uh, lawn with this contaminated water like that stunt was really compelling and I was really surprised by just how short that scene was I felt like it could I felt I wanted to see the conflict I wanted to see the employees come out and Michael Moore be belligerent like he is in the other films and it just didn't happen yeah and I don't I mean he didn't lose his chutzpah i think he maybe is surrounded by people who say man you got a great point here just go with it and not many no people just a lot of yes people um did you see it boomy not yet okay oh sorry yeah so (laughs) spoiler alert i mean there's no spoiler because it's about yeah it's it's i mean i kind of casey kind of told me what it's about so does it feel like propaganda to you i mean I feel like more documentary, like, I think we often like to talk about documentary as though it is, it is an unbiased thing, like the way we used to view news as being unbiased uh, and pure. And I think in general and in documentary history, that's not what documentaries are. They, all, they tend to have, I, don't, I wouldn't say always, but the really compelling ones tend to have 
some sort of slant or message, and you can you can feel that coming through. Um, but this movie's all that. It is. It's just it's just jabbing the it entire time in the same direction. Uh, you but but that's what I'm. That kind of ties into like history because even if you're writing about history, mm-hmm. you're always the historian strives to be objective in their writing, but there's always some sort of bias, yeah. you know, and that's the question. Can you be objective in writing about history? Can you be objective in telling a story? The goal is to strive to be objective, um, which, you know, I always talk about Kim Burns, especially um, like in the civil war, you know, there was some, you know, he, they talked about how he didn't uh, mention much about um, African American, the contribution of African American soldiers yeah. in winning the, um, in fighting against the Confederacy. Mm-hmm. But other than that, there was still this balance um, in from both sides in telling the story um, about the Civil War. Why do you think he did that? Why do you think there because wasn't he, more? He, he always calls himself a historian. He's you know so he's coming from that perspective, um, and I think. In the case of, and, and I didn't see this film, but obviously Michael Moore is a, I guess what you would term, liberal yeah. um, storyteller. So he's, and he doesn't make any, you know, he flat out lets people know that that's his stance. You yeah. already know where he's coming from. So, and, and again, I haven't seen the film, but in this case, you know, what, what did you expect? Yeah, that's yeah. no, true. I don't know that I would call it propaganda, sort of in the same way you kind of know what you're expecting. And he's the film, I think, largely is probably preaching to the choir. It's kind of unlikely that somebody who was not likely to agree with him was going to go see the film. I, I would... I would maybe call it like an activist film. You know, you've got the stunts, Michael Moore's history of going out and doing stunts. He talked a lot about his personal life in the film. Um, you know, it seemed like a personal sort of activisty film. I don't know that I would call it propaganda, but I can also appreciate why somebody would call it that. Well, you know, the other thing about it is it's just good enough that I would totally recommend it to anybody to go see. Um, it's not great, but um, man, it's hard to make something that's really great for yeah. everybody. Because what what we want is not what everybody else wants. Um, you know, we talk at the studio lab about how to how to put together projects and films, and we have different people who come in, you know, working on drone videos or screen grab video game videos or you know, the guy who's making a documentary about... John's making a documentary about uh, a friend of his who was wrongful, wrongfully <clears throat> in, in prison for, what, 20 years? Something like that, yeah. Um, and it's just interesting to watch people uh, try to put this stuff together. And the Studio Lab itself, uh, you know, we were moved there from a Martin Luther King Library where we had kind of a, a few a few different rooms for, you know, the, separated from each other. Um, that's pretty much what a studio is. And so what we have now is basically a medium-sized conference room with all of the gear that we had done at MLK just in a small room. And, you know, we were talking about it on the way here. How many people should we actually be allowing in at one time? Because sometimes it's, 
you know, all three Mac Pros and four, you know, laptops are being used at the exact same time. And the energy in that room can get super yeah. intense. And then sometimes in addition to those seven computers being occupied, there's uh, extra people in there that are hashing out some other project that they're working on. Um, so it can be really, like you said, full and crazy. So what I appreciate about the Studio Lab, and I, you know, I just, I was just moved there over a month ago, but I was with, with the Studio Lab at MOK um, prior to its closing. But what I appreciate is that it is a space um, where creatives can come for free um, to socialize with um, other um, filmmakers, musicians, or whatever, um, get help with projects that they're working on. Um, and where else can you do that? And, and that's the great thing about libraries now is that they're all, you know, it's not just you're going to the space to do research and, you know, read. It's now a space where you can come to actually make films and you can do it on a budget. What, now, what do you think, what jumps out at you with our s- setup now? We, so when, when there's a room full of people and some people want to do audio, you can't really lay down a vocal in the middle of a room where other people are working on their stuff. You, you know, that has to be set up separately when you can have the room to yourself. But um, what other stuff jumps out at you as, you know, man, I wish we had da-da-da-da, or I wish it was more, you know. Well, first of all, we have access to the Adobe Creative Suite. Yep. Um, so folks don't have to pay for that, which is like $50, $60 a month. You can come and use it for free. Um, to do your video editing or um, editing uh, music or whatever else. Um, so, uh, I mean, I don't know. Like, I mean, uh, the, there's the access to that stuff, and I think as much as that, it, um, it's pe- people who want to learn how to use that stuff. So, I mean, we're not super experts at Premiere or you know that kind of thing, but. But I think we that's that's the great thing about it being in a library is the library is a space for learning. Mm-hmm. So we know what we know. Right. Um, and then the people who come in and use the space, um, they have their background of knowledge and together we learn from each other. Um, and also combine that with the databases that we have access to, like lynda.com, where you can learn how to use um, Audition or... Um, have we all used Linda for this kind of thing? I totally have. Yeah, I, that's how I taught myself Some. really how to edit. I mean, I, I took a class, um, not Adobe. Um, dang, what's the one? There's, Final Cut. That's what oh, I learned yeah. how to use I, first. And then I had to switch over yeah, to. Yeah, that's interesting. You don't use Final Cut anymore. You use there, I know people who still use it. But, but you, you're on Premiere now, right? Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah. I feel like most of my learning, though, happened just through access to the programs, you know, pushing buttons, seeing what happens and experimenting and learning. Um, And then later on, I use stuff like Linda or YouTube just to find little things like maybe there's this one thing I want to do, but I don't know how to do it. And um, I didn't I didn't really do the full classes. But I think that in retrospect, using Linda would probably be a a more efficient way to have learned and it depends on how you learn too i think because i might be a little more like you where i 
go in there, start messing with stuff, create noise, then edit the noise into something else yeah. and that kind of thing. Not everybody learns that way. And so, I mean, you can come at it from that point of view. And then, you know, once you're really good at something, you take the Linda course and realize that you're not actually that good. You're like <laughs> 60% good, but you're missing like all this other, you know, keyboard shortcuts and how, how the program actually works. Um, uh, yeah, I, I couldn't recommend Linda uh, too highly. Um, I mean, clearly we are in a transitional period where we're waiting for the Martin Luther King Library, uh, the, the modernization to be complete. Everyone's waiting for it. Everyone's asking about it, all that. Um, so in we're very much not uh, keeping the studio lab on life support. We worried that that might be the case up there, and f for a while maybe it was, and now we have more people working than we did at MLK, and uh, people all in the same room, sort of like a one-room schoolhouse. It's totally different. Yeah, the feeling is so different, because it used to be people would reserve um, a room at the MLK Studio Lab to, to work on their video editing, their photo editing, you know, audio recording, whatever. Separate rooms. Separate rooms. And that was all great and really good. Um, but, you know, we could never really build a community in the same way that we can when people are, you know, actually encountering one another um, in the same space. Yeah, we didn't foresee that. Yeah, I don't think that happened. was something that I, I was even on my radar because this is so different from what we had had well something that we talked about um before we got on air was how we had to make do with the space that we had yeah. and how just as like say for instance when you're making a documentary you start out with this idea which we all did when we envisioned what the studio lab would be like at shepherd park but it actually was something different and you kind of had to take what you had and make it into um something that was usable usable and it, it's almost the same way that, like, you kind of make documentaries. Like, you have this idea in your head, but once you get into shooting, um, the story kind of changes mm -hmm. and you, you, you go with the flow. Um, I think, what, is a document tr documentary treatment is what you start out with. But then as you start filming and you start shooting, the story changes. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same thing with us building this lab. We started out thinking one thing, especially with all of us, you know, working together. But it took a detour. And then now we're back here yeah. and, you know, having to build a green screen out of, um, what is that? A sheet? Yeah. Uh, a big sheet, hung like a shower <laughs> a big curtain. Sheet. But it's great because you have the green screen and then there's this really great brick wall that I think is a great backdrop. Fantastic backdrop. But you could walk in there and say, this isn't a studio. There's a big brick wall here. But the, a lot of people have used that as a background for things and it looks really, really good. Um, it's hard to be positive when you start out because you just realize how much work you have to do. Nothing's certain. Um, and I think we kind of felt that way when we were getting it started. Um, and I don't think we should take for granted how much creative energy is in there. It's yeah. sort of like, you know, we're all monkeys in a tree banging out, uh, but you know. It's, our art. You know, yeah, that's that's the great thing about this space, though, is at the same time, yeah, it's a makeshift space. But, you know, to make for people who are working on projects, you don't need the expensive uh, 
booth time that you would spend in the studio if you're just starting out this is a great space for people who are just starting out that's a good point yeah. um you want to learn you want to um bounce ideas off of other people this is a great space and will you're an example of how you don't need yeah. a big budget no. um to make a, a pro to work on a project yeah yeah i, I did my documentary with a, a a three thousand dollar grant for initial equipment but once i had access to the equipment you know my expenses were probably between four and five hundred bucks you know by basically just doing everything myself learning to do everything myself and you know i i think it's worth highlighting probably a lot of you know artists that we love you know this is how they got started you know they didn't get started in a big budget studio and, and they had day jobs they had day jobs and uh, you know that you don't in order to make something beautiful you don't have to start having all the most expensive supplies and, and that's something that uh i think is worth you know creative people considering across the board not just talking about um studio lab and, and you know you you see the people that really shine, they realize this and they take advantage of the resources they have now, whereas the other people get stuck in this hole thinking, man, I just don't have access. I would be so amazing if only I had this or this. And, and I get it. Like, there's probably some truth there, but sometimes I think we're a little extreme about our needs. But I think that that's the great thing about not having much because it forces you to be creative definitely and it, and it forces Absolutely. you to kind of dig in punk rock yeah yeah kind of dig in to bring out that that great story you know so it's not having the most expensive things that makes it shine it's it's the you know it's that heart that you put into it um i think uh juan pablo guzman who yeah. we had on um earlier this yeah. year March. he's still working on his project but he has a great project that he's working on mm -hmm. and it's low budget yeah, and he's using our space to finalize his project. Yeah. Not to mention, there are tons of high-budget movies that have come out that were terrible. Mm -hmm. They had all the resources, but the story that they told was awful. And, you know, you, I would pick many, many low-budget films over, over it. You know, and it's, it's about the story and building the story. Yeah, and someone like uh, Juan... Pablo, call him Pablo, um, his story is still changing. And that's such a strange thing to think about because we think about, okay, the movie's over, the end. Um, but I talked to him the other day and he said, uh, hey, I finished my movie. I'm like, okay, uh, can I see it? Oh, no, 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 it's, I still have some stuff to do. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, what does that mean? And he's on to his next one, actually. And I asked him, what's that about? He said, oh, it's about the same thing. I'm like, what is going on here? Does, it's just an ongoing, uh, it's, it's a different, different type of documentary that it's actually still alive. Um, and, you know, Vice is really good with that stuff because it's stuff that's happening now. They have young, energetic, you know, crews that can just show up wherever if there's a, you know, a, a crazy event happening in a place where no one wants to go. That's where they send people. And, um, there's there's something to that it's different than you know the civil war where things you have to make them come back alive right what um, do you mean make them come back alive well it's all done it's all over you, they're not gonna fight that battle again or they're not gonna you know it's so what 
Ken Burns does basically is sort of hydrate this dried up, you know, piece of history. But that's what any docu- good documentarian does. But like is, a historian, though, stuff that's done. Well, that's when you're talking when you're when you're talking about history. Yeah. But any like um, what's the guy's name again? The Michael Moore. Michael, Michael Moore. Moore. Most people will not go and see a dry movie with just facts. If you just say. This happened at this time, blah, 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 blah. To me, the goal of the documentary filmmaker is to tell the story visually um, in a way that elicits some type of emotion from the viewer that moves them in some, some type of way. And history, because a lot of people think history is boring, um, th- to me, that's the hardest. Uh, Michael Moore's films are more contemporary. He focuses on contemporary issues. But when it comes to history, that's really where you, you kind of have to, you know, you need the story, you need the visual. And I think that's where Kim Byrne shines because he, with the whole Kim Byrne effect of using photographs to kind of bring history alive was revolutionary. Mm-hmm. And he does it in such a way that keeps you interested in the story. I yeah. mean, and that, and that documentary series was like, what, 20 hours? Yeah, it's long. insane, long. the length. Yeah. But everyone who watches it watches the whole thing. Mm-hmm. It's like you need to know what the next thing is. And that's hard to do. And I'm sure, you know, I mean, he's a, he's a master at that. Even and the new one um, that just came out of uh, Vietnam. Vietnam. Oh, man, that was Yeah, intense. I mean, the music. Um, mm-hmm. Using the use of music in as the backdrop to the story, yeah, um, was interesting. And it feels so effortless too. You're not going into his movies being like, "Oh, I see what they did here." Oh, yeah, they're put, you know they're putting these two characters against each other and all this kind of stuff. It's not really like that. I don't know how he does that. Well, he, you know, because I like to watch how they make yeah. these um, documentaries. I saw a couple of pieces where he talked about, you know, using both using the voice from both sides to tell what happened the same voice no like you had this the Viet Cong and then you had the American GIs you know side of the story as to what happened and you had um, veterans you had political officials you had all types of people on both sides telling the story of what happened and again that goes back to his historian background of trying to be objective and balanced in, you know, telling both sides of the story. Yeah, and in the Vietnam thing, you get the sense that there's not two sides to the story. There's like a hundred sides and different interests. Um, and it's beautiful to watch. I mean, it's intimidating to watch some of his stuff because it's just like Mozart. You know, it's like nothing is wrong with this. You really wish there was something wrong because then you feel a little bit better about your own stuff. But so that's the great thing about the studio lab is that we get to share these kind of ideas like there's that that kind of with us exchanging these ideas about filmmaking and being in this space. um, For me, it kind of helps me kind of flesh out, you know, ideas, even though I don't like criticism (laughs) (laughs) of my work or my ideas. But I do like you know, hearing about different types of film yeah. and the process of making the film. 
Yeah, you need someone else to look at it and tell you what you're not seeing because you can't see everything. And for the most part, you know, I go to a movie two or three times sometimes because I realize that I missed so much. And then once I see it the third time, like, okay, now I get it. And there's just there's too much going on to think that, you know, exactly how to tell your story by yourself. Um, And that's so, I mean, when you think about a creative space like the Studio Lab, what do you think it's going to be like? when the new one happens when we there's the great unveiling of the mlk library and it's brand new and it's futuristic for the time and it won't be futuristic in 20 years it'll be you know people will think it looks old whatever but what would be the best case scenario for the new studio lab down at mlk have you thought about it well just think about the location of mlk library being a central location being in downtown uh washington and having i know before when you know because we work not only in the studio lab but digital commons you have people coming in from all around the world so you know then you you open that up and you say oh you have a studio lab you don't know who will walk in one day and say hey i need to edit this or I need to lay down this track really quick, and it's a free space. So location, definitely location. Anything else? Well, I think something, you know, like we were talking about earlier that we've learned in our our current situation is, you know, now we've built kind of a creative community in a way that we didn't at at MLK. Um, I think in part because of the way the space was set up, I think... Hopefully we have plenty of these separate rooms so that people don't have to wait in order to record and and do th- and shoot videos and things of that nature. But, man, I think there could totally be some value to us still having a, a group room where people can go in and work on their own projects like, uh, like what, we, we, what we have right now. A brainstorming lab. Yeah. Um, the, to me, that would be ideal. I mean, the, the, that's the big question mark is what is MLK going to be look like? What is it going to be like? And uh, we'll see. But I think the takeaway from it all is that, number one, <laughs> there are spaces you can go to and use stuff for free. Use Absolutely. equipment for free. Um, at Shepherd Park. And, and that's at not, Shepherd Park. Yeah. yeah. And that's hopefully not going to change for mm-hmm. a long time. You know, I think... I think that the prediction is there will be a, a studio lab around um, for some time into the future. Yeah, it seems like uh, you could put a little little satellite type of setup uh, at a you know Cleveland Park or where, wherever um, wherever there's interest. Um, but so, you know that room uh, changed everything. It did, and the same there, there's. It's sort of like a little movie with characters and the people who come each time. We're all a little weird. And Speak for yourself. I, I did. I said, we... Okay, yeah, not you. Everyone Case, everyone yeah. but Boomy is a little weird. Boomy is very normal. Yeah, she's super normal. Thank um, you. And uh, But even that, even though... You Might get, be eccentric, but I'm not weird. Okay. <laughs> but you get pushback from different people, and um, that's good. At first, it didn't seem that way. It seemed like there was going to be fights breaking out and stuff like that, but that never happened, and people actually have, you know... Yeah, we were really worried that there would be issues with people wanting... I mean, sometimes people prefer a certain computer or whatever, but it's never a fight, and people are generous and kind, usually. So something of note would be 
uh, we're opening up the studio lab drop-in for another day. Yeah. Um, so right now we have, uh, or we have had Mondays and Thursdays, one to five. Uh, we're going to be adding Wednesday, one to five also. So um, if you don't know where that is, it's 7420 Georgia Avenue, Northwest. Um, it's actually pretty easy to get to. It's If you go to Tacoma Park Metro Station, it's like, what is it, 10-minute walk, 15? It's probably about a 15-minute walk from uh, Tacoma Park Metro yeah. Station. Um, so or You said Silver Spring, too, right? Silver Spring is close, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so not hard to get to. We have these three supercomputers, the, the Mac Pros, that mostly people use for visual and, and some video stuff. But We have lighting. We have um, access to DSLR cameras, the T5. Yeah, so video recording, audio recording, any of that stuff. It's a DIY space, so when you get there, you need to kind of know what you're doing. Drop-in dates are... Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, 1 to 5. Um, and I would say if you don't know anything, uh, you should come up because that's the best way to learn. The best way to learn is just uh, doing it. So I think, um, I think that's it for today. Um, thank you guys for listening, and please come and be creative with us. Uh, thank you. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at FullServiceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.